Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. New calls today from two major market watchers, what Tom Lee and Marco Kalanovic are now saying about your money in the months ahead. We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal, John Ajarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Good to see everybody. Let's check stocks down the S&P, hitting new record highs once again. I mentioned Kalanovic and I mentioned Tom Lee. Symbiotic notes from both of them today. They are definitely on the same page. Jim Labenthal, it's all about risk on. And the funny thing is, you're on that page, too, because you say it's all in on risk. And that's where you are. Yeah, you know, I feel a bit like a broken record, and I hate to be boring on the show by repeating myself, but it's the same thing as last week, uh, Scott. I think I think you just look at the the <laughs> you look at the macro environment, and you say you've got profits coming in much better than expected. Yeah, there's some pull forward from next year, but not a lot. You've got a very supportive Fed. They'll go whenever they go. I'm not going to worry about that. If liftoff is the end of 2022, that's more than a year away. I'm not going to worry about that. You've got infrastructure that looks like it's coming. I mean, that's it's hard to derail that at this point in time. You've got the economy reopening. You've got jobs being created. And uh, you know what? This is exactly what I said to you last week. And I'm sorry about that. But I just find it hard to paint the bare case. Why are you apologizing for having conviction on your view? I don't know. Why are you apologizing? I because I'm boring. You know what? What I'm saying is I'm all invested. I'm in the cyclicals. I'm in the growth at a reasonable price stocks and I'm making money. I'm, I'm happy being boring and making money. And to all of our viewers, that's what you should be doing, too. All right. I don't want people to say, hey, these guys on CNBC are always bullish. We're not always bullish. But here's the truth. By far, most of the time, the right call is to be bullish. And right now, the fundamentals just absolutely you've support been far the call. From, you've been far from always bullish, so I wouldn't even paint yourself in, into that kind of corner from, from the outset. Stephanie Link, uh, Tom Lee, he's not apologizing. He says, we continue to expect an everything rally in the second half of this year, as the peaking of the Delta wave will be a big sigh of relief. Kalanovic, as I mentioned, and he's been known to move markets before, he says... Positioning against the reflation trade went too far. He said, we stay with our pro-risk allocations this month, given strong global growth. We continue to see the global economy accelerating into the second half. We thus expect the reflation trade, cyclical stocks, bond yields, reflation and reopening themes to rebound as Delta variant fears subside. Different person, same theme as Tom Lee, though. And for large matter, Farmer Jim. Yep. And me. (laughs) I've been on the cyclical bandwagon for a long time. And I got to tell you, since May, cyclicals have actually underperformed. So have reopened. And so I think and so have services, by the way, too. And so I think that you can see a catch up trade. So I agree with everyone so far. I like Tom Lee's call on financials. He made the right call to get negative back in June. It's the right call to get positive right now. But look, 
any given day, we have this back and forth. We have Delta cases going higher and the unknowns there. We have peak growth concerns and the unknowns there. On the flip side, you still have very solid economic growth. I mean, just in the last couple of days alone, the non-farm payroll numbers were better than expected. Wages were up 4% annualized. Initial claims, the four-week moving average down 250000 Home prices up 18%. On the year, um, jolts yesterday, that was kind of jaw-dropping, if you, if you will. The ISM new orders numbers is very bullish for CapEx. So all of this, as Jim just mentioned, is translating into profits, 80% earnings growth. Who knows about Delta? But the stimulus is in the system. It's not going away anytime soon. And that's going to be a tailwind for equities. And again, I lean more towards the cyclicals and reopens because they've lagged so much in the last couple of months. Josh Brown, what do you make of this? I just think I just think uh, everything that we've been talking about on the show is exactly what's playing out. And it's not because we're fortune tellers um, or because we can predict the future. If you just focus on fundamentals and technicals, they gave you the, the right positioning. Market's been strong all year. The rotation beneath the surface has been incredible. One of the best bull market rotations over the last six to 12 months that anyone has ever seen. And all of that talk about uh, deterioration in the internals, people need to learn to widen the lens. They're looking at like five days worth of activity. You're not giving the rotation time for these comebacks to happen. So the cyclicals are coming back now, as Stephanie mentioned. The financials look nasty right now. They're all breaking out. They busted out of that base. We've been talking about that base for a long time. Now you got new highs. uh, COF, Capital One Financial, Discover Financial. Look at these stocks. The technicals are great. Well, what are the fundamentals? A consumer who has never been in the shape that they've been in in our lifetimes. That's the fundamentals. So when you have the technicals, oh, uh, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs. I wish I could curse on the show. I would say holy, uh, you know, S. I got the, you. These stocks look amazing. And, and now we're going to talk about materials later. I don't want to give this away. But, like, let's just look at double A. Look at this chart. Alcoa. I don't like the company, but whatever. $8 billion market cap. Look at this chart. How does this not go back to resistance, uh, which, is, which is 60? There's tons of room to make money. Transport's put in a low. Uh, they fell 13%. Put in that low, the rotation, they come back. Tech is cooling off here, and guess what? It doesn't matter. The RSP, right, equal weight, whole stock market, equal weight, uh, all-time high today. So if you're looking at, like, these breakdowns and you're saying, oh, the percentage of stocks above the 50-day. Throw the 50-day out. It's not for you. If you're an investor, you need to widen the lens, look longer term, the bigger picture. The trend has clearly been higher. I don't know what you're looking at if you, if you haven't been able to see that. And really, today is just one more confirmation. All right. So, John Najarian, is it, is it too easy to say that what Tom Lee does, that everything rallies? Those are his words. Um, or is it going to be more selective? more towards the reopen, the reflation. You know where I'm going with that. Well, uh, the great news, Scott, that we started talking about last week was when the U.K. showed those uh, Delta variant cases dropping pretty dramatically and our cases lining up looking like they were going to have that same sort of move. That's very positive. I'm sure that's what Tom is looking at when he's getting uh, all bulled up right here. But also all that money that Josh just described, you know, the consumer really has not 
been any better than they are right now with the money that uh, has been given them, the money they've earned and so forth and not been able to spend. Um, I think that is your main driver right here, Scott, that and a very dovish Fed. But, you know, we have CPI tomorrow. We have some um, uh, of these things where, for instance, you didn't get the growth that you thought hey, Doc, you were going to get. Hang on GDP. a second. We have Doc. Hang yes, on. Sir? I'm sorry. We have major breaking news from the state of New York. Our Contessa Brewer is following that. Contessa. I'm listening to Governor Cuomo right now. He has just announced he will be resigning that resignation effective. Scott, in 14 days, Lieutenant Governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, will be the one who takes over from here. This follows a news conference by Cuomo's personal attorney, Rita Glavin, who uh, outlined point by point by point the problems she sees with the report brought by the Attorney General of New York, accusing the governor of sexual harassment, a culture of bullying, retaliation. Uh, the governor's personal attorney went through those and, and says, one, it was a, a blame the governor, let's talk about a media frenzy, and, and without really credible evidence to back up some of the more serious allegations, the governor came on and, and reiterated it, and then 15 minutes into his remarks, says that the best way that he can show New York some love is for him to step aside. He says that the the amount of time that would be spent on impeachment proceedings, on trying to defend himself from these allegations of wrongdoing, would be misspent in a life or death situation. There, his referral to, of course, the coronavirus epidemic um, that we are still trying to grapple with uh, nationwide and around the world, and especially in New York, where Governor Cuomo has tried to take a leadership position on the pandemic. So at this point, here's what happens. He's announcing his resigning. The lieutenant governor, who there were some reports that she was preparing to take over, Kathy Hochul, will be sworn in as governor. He says his resignation effective in 14 days. We'll bring you any more headlines we um, see coming out of this, Scott. All right. We appreciate that, Contessa. Thank you for that update. That's Contessa Brewer following that major breaking story out of the state of New York. Let's get back to our conversation, if we could, uh, because we are talking about the reopen trade, the reflation trade, however you want to characterize it. And so is William Blair today, Josh, because they have some actual names that they say are the best bang for your buck right now. And they're all right in your wheelhouse, among others as well, uh, from our committee. But all three of these names are right to you. Starbucks, Shake Shack, Live Nation. Stay with all three. I feel like that guy watches the show. Um... Yeah, look, these stocks have been working. I think they'll continue to work. Starbucks looks amazing. Very easy to understand why that stock has been going up, will continue to go up. All of their uh, locations that had been low foot traffic are now high foot traffic once again, plus all the benefits of those investments in high tech, uh, mobile, et cetera, delivery, uh, Shake Shack, I won't bore anyone, it's the same thing. Live Nation, to me, is very obvious. This is going to be a business that is firing on all cylinders as people come back to shows. I don't know if you saw any of those aerial photos of uh, Lollapalooza in Chicago. Uh, that is just a taste of what's to come in the second half of this year. So I do like all three names. I'm long these stocks. I have been for a while, and we'll stay there. All right, let's bring in our headliner of the day. Rick Reeder manages $2.7 trillion as CIO of BlackRock's global fixed income team. He's also head of the global allocation team. It's good to see you again. You too. Thanks, Scott. Are you on Team Lee and Kalanovic? It certainly sounds <laughs> like you are. Risk on now? Yeah, I mean, I... 
Listen, I, mean, I listened to all the commentary beforehand. I mean, it, I agree. I mean, the, uh, the conditions are ripe. In fact, I would argue there are two other factors that are even more significant or maybe as significant. One is people don't focus on strength of corporate balance sheets. I think for my years of credit, I always tend to look at what are companies sitting on, what's their free cash flow generation, how do they service the debt. You look today, I mean, companies, the amount of cash they're sitting on is unbelievable. And the, and the amount that they've reduced the debt of their balance sheet. So they're set up to do uh, significant capex going forward, R&D. And by the way, you're seeing these numbers flow through. M&A is going to be heavy because they're sitting on so much cash. So that factor, as I would argue, uh, <clears throat> when I look at some of the companies we're buying today, that factor, I think, is a, is a really big deal. The second one is you think about the alternatives for investing today. I mean, <laughs> you know, I've been pretty vocal on your show about Fed needs to go. Fed needs to start tapering down the liquidity. You're seeing fixed income assets, companies' ability to finance, structure, securitize assets where you're able to finance today is unbelievable at less than 1% across the board. There's too much liquidity in the world. There's too much desire for assets, and equities are not high relative to all those conditions. You're, in fact, increasing your equity exposure, right, since the last time we spoke. You may be doing it through options to increase your hedges and (laughs) things like that, but you are increasing your exposure to stocks. Yeah, no, we've been, we've been increasing. I mean, we have a lot of convexity in the book. We use a lot of options. As we said, we end up having some cash on. I think I sent you a note. We, you know, we've also been selling some downside. What's happening in single-name stocks is, is uh, volatility. People are nervous about value or whatever they're nervous about, COVID or valuations, which, and, you know, there's some, there's some fear that should be there. But, boy, some of the stocks, and, and I think Josh said it, some of these reopening stocks, whether it's retailers, or some of the industrial companies that have come off a decent amount, you can now sell because volatility is high. You can sell some put options and actually grow your exposure that way. So, yeah, we've been, we've been doing a bit more. The one place that we've been doing a bit different that I, that I may, may challenge a little bit <clears throat> is in financials, although uh, I think Josh brought up some names we like as well. But some of the banks, I think, are trading at big multiples. We've rode that for a while, particularly European banks. And some of them are up over 100% over the last, uh, last few months. So we're cutting some of that. You know, by primarily people talk about, well, if rates move higher, the banks will perform. So you just, you know, we're just short. We, <laughs> we like being short interest rates. So <clears throat> we think that's a more efficient expression. expression short today. rates? You're, sh- you're short interest. You think rates are, are going to start going down again? I mean, isn't this? No, 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 no. I think rates are going. No, I think rates are going higher. I mean, you know, we, this, uh, you know, we talked about on your show a bunch of times. In July, you had these incredible technicals at play, including the TGA pay down, including international demand. Some of those technicals are going to be less at play over the next few weeks. So, no, we think rates are going to move higher. I don't think they're going much higher. I certainly don't think when people talk about rates are going to go higher so they're going to disrupt the equity market. Or my favorite, which I don't agree with at all, is when the Fed tapers, that's a problem for the equity market. The Fed needs to taper. There's too much liquidity in the system. If you got a little bit of normalcy to interest rates, it allows people to hedge more effectively and it allows you to create more balance in your portfolio. So, Anyway, I think rates are going to move moderately higher, but they're not going very far. But even so, I mean, if that happens and not to get all hung up on the financials, aren't the financials going to work in that environment? I know it's so simplified, but maybe yeah. simple is the truth. Yeah, but if you're running, if you're running a balanced portfolio, you think about, gosh, I'm going to own those because I think rates are going to move higher. You, just own, you should just own the expression. I've often found in my career that instead of finding the first derivative or second derivative, I'd rather just go where I, where I think you should go. And what's happened is some of the banks particularly trade at, at, uh, at a two times multiple to book. When you trade at those sort of multiples to book, boy, to stretch it much further, 
pretty hard, particularly, you know, long discussion about net interest income and in this environment, your ability to grow net interest and income. By the way, I don't hate the financials, but we are definitely pairing some back. Some of the names that are in the cyclical orientation that Josh said, that, that I'm comfortable owning. But some of the others, you know what, I'd rather take some other direct risk. Well, you're buying retail, right? You're buying specialty, you're buying big Correct. box, some discount retailers. Correct. You bought a little bit of fang since we last spoke as well. That's correct. Yeah, no, I think some of these retailers have come off quite a bit. And, uh, you know, doing some work over the last month and looking at, not all of them, by the way, and there's some stressed places. But, boy, I've been pretty blown away by, A, the persistence of their ROE, the persistence of their return on equity, the persistence of their cash flow. And as per the point I made before, the fact that they've delevered and sitting on a tremendous amount of cash. So some of these retailers are pretty interesting. They've come off a lot. And uh, so we buy in there. And also some of the industrials that have come down quite a bit that are consistent cash flow generators. Yeah, we've been, uh, we've been adding some there. We've been doing a little bit in FANG, but I would argue not, not, a, not a ton. We still love, you know, we're in technology, and we still think that's a core holding, but we haven't done a lot to add to that recently. Okay, so your next note, I mean, you're not going to go full Tom Lee with everything rallies. This could be almost everything rallies, because, I mean, that's exactly what you're saying. Almost everything rallies, because it sounds like that's what you're saying. Listen, I think, I mean, the equities are going higher. I mean, when you look at free cash flow yield of the equity market today in the fours and earnings yield, if you take forward earnings estimates, you get, I mean, and by the way, in some of those companies we just talked about, you've got, you've got forward earnings yield of 7, 8, 9%, you know, versus the 10-year note at, uh, that is now breaching 130. Um, they're pretty attractive. I mean, there's still a bunch of valuations that make sense across the equity market. So, yeah, I think we're going higher. And by the way, you know, people talk about multiples, these earnings numbers, and it's not just the earnings numbers, the top-line revenue is, uh, is pretty impressive. And, and, you know, we think growth is durable. I think a lot of comments Stephanie made were, were dead on. I mean, we think growth will continue to be good. Listen, I think you've got to have some balance in your portfolio. There's no doubt you could pull back a bit. I think a lot of people are jumping on board the bandwagon to buy equities. And, you know, the flows have been epic in buying equities. So you've got to be a bit cautious relative to that. But, no, I think that's the better asset class for sure. The guy knows his flows. I mean, it's the world's largest asset manager. So who am I to <laughs> argue with that? Stephanie Link has a question for you, Rick. Hey, Rick, how are you? Um, so do you Good worry up. about margins just given wages and commodity costs? I know commodities are coming down, but they're still elevated year over year. That's the one worry point yeah. for me. Do you worry about that? Yeah, no, it's a great point. So you have to. I mean, you know, so we spent a bunch of time looking at it. So I think there's a couple of things to factor in. One, industries are being, are being able to price it through today. I mean, they're, they're, it's pretty impressive around what you're getting in terms of the follow through around pricing. Second is, you know, wages are going to keep accelerating. You know, I think they're, they're, when you look at some of it, like you pointed out, some of this JOLTS data from yesterday, it's unbelievable how many job openings. There's 10 million <laughs> job openings. So wages are going to continue to accelerate. But, you know, if you look at today versus history and you look at how margins are constructed, wages are going to be a smaller component of the total going forward. So, you know, we, we actually have done that. We've stressed what happens with wages moving higher. Now, there's some businesses that are very labor intensive. You've got to be a bit careful. But, gosh, I'm not that concerned about because you can pass it through and because, the, you know, the wage component. And then simultaneously, productivity is increasing. Technology development is pretty incredible. Look at the money spent on R&D to bring your cost base down to create real synergies. So, mm-hmm. listen, I think you've got to keep an eye on it. I think your point's well taken. But I still think margins are going to be pretty good for a while. Josh Brown, question? Yeah, so, Rick, BlackRock, I think uniquely, maybe BlackRock and Vanguard are the only two firms that you could say this about. You guys are now $9 trillion in assets under management. So, arguably, you have a better view into what investors are doing 
in terms of flows than anybody. Like you might know more than, than the Fed does on a real-time basis. So why is it so hard for people to understand that what's fueling this rally is that even on red days, people sell things. They say, all right, I'm going to sell this. I'm going to take a profit. There's volatility. Whatever their reason. And then like two days go by, they look around. Whatever the headlines were that made them sell on Monday, now it's Wednesday. It's a new set of headlines. And they just say, you know what? All right, I, I sold. Now I'm going to go buy something else. That's the source of the rotation, is it not? Like it's, it's people that sell, but then they don't need the money. They, they can even borrow against the portfolio to buy things like second homes or, or a car or a boat. So people really don't need to take money out. And you probably see this where they're going back and forth, fixed income, back to stocks, different kind of stocks. Even when they sell, it ends up in another part of the market. And that's that powerful rotation that we're living through. What do you think about that? Yeah, no. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure I'm that smart, so I, but I, I do follow those flows pretty carefully. And, and you're right. You're dead right. The money, I mean, the amount of liquidity in the system is incredible. The savings rate has grown precipitously, so the money's got to go somewhere. That is right. By the way, the, the flip side of it is, or maybe the corollary to that, is the amount of income that people are getting into their portfolios is a fraction of what it used to be or and what you can get. Because of the other markets, you can't get the income. So, gosh, i got to generate return. Dividend yields are not bad, and free cash flow yields are definitely not bad. So, it's, as he said, there's a major amount of money that's, that's got to go somewhere to get some, get some return. But it's also going to get some income, and that's not going away anytime soon. And like I say, the Fed may raise rates. I think they should raise rates in, in 2022. But it's not going away. We're going to be in a low-rate environment for a long time, and it's going to be the impetus for money coming into equities. And not only that, for companies to borrow at super attractive levels for are an extended you, period of time. Are you sure we're not being too complacent about the Fed either moving up the taper timeline or moving up a rate hike timeline, or as Steve Leisman was characterizing things today as a fractious Fed, because now you have some hawks who are becoming a little more open to the idea of a faster taper. Bostic yesterday, there were others in the days prior. Are you sure we're not taking all that for granted? Scott, I mean, I, you know, I've said this on your show. I, I don't, I'd feel a whole lot more comfortable taking risk if the Fed was tapering because the risk to me is exactly what Stephanie said. You get some overheating dynamic, you get some pressure on margins, and quite frankly, the more that you continue to pump $120 billion a month into the system, you create a, a, anomalies in the system, you create abnormal pricing in markets. If all of a sudden you start to pull back on that, gosh, I'd feel a whole lot better about taking risks. So, no, that, if you said to me, of all the things I worry about, I worry about COVID, I worry about growth in China's decelerating, I worry about a lot of things, the Fed's slowing down emergency policy is definitely not high on my list. Yeah, all right. counterintuitive view, perhaps, but maybe that's the way the market's thinking, too. Farmer Jim, you have a question for Rick? Yeah, thanks, Judge. Hey, Rick, always good to have you on. Uh, a few weeks thanks, ago, uh, the judge labeled me Mr. Financials because I started to get pretty bullish on Citi, Goldman Sachs. <laughs> so when you tell me you're marginally negative on it, that catches my, uh, catches my attention. It's all, everybody seems to think it's about net interest margin, but the Fed just reported that CNI loans ticked up in the second quarter. We're seeing revolving credit tick up. Uh, so the volume of loans is picking up. You've got share buybacks. You've got loan loss reserve uh, reversals. I feel like there's more to this story than net interest margin. Do you think I'm wrong? And uh, but just be clear, before you mm -hmm. answer that, he, he is Mr. All-In now. Right? He was Mr. Financial. <laughs> I'll take that. Now I'll he's take Mr. That. All in. So I'll there's take no that. going back. He's already said I'll, it. Not, I mean, he like tripled down on it, too, Rick. So uh, I'm not backing so. off of that. <laughs> 
So, I mean, I see your points are well taken. I mean, the buyback story is real. Listen, I think there's a couple of things. Everything comes at a price. I think when you get multiples to a certain level, then it's really hard. I mean, think about what is your ability to generate higher levels of ROE when you trade it a couple of times tangible book value? And, you're, you know, what's your ROE going to be, 15%, 16%? It's okay. But, boy, you know, by the way, Europe, they're still at a fractional book, so I think there's still some value there. And, by the way, net interest income I think is a really big deal because of, you know, all of the growth of deposits and, and the money that's gone into held to maturity on assets that are, that are sticky at low yields or will be functionally sticky at low yields. So, listen, I think you make a lot of good points. I, I, you know, we still own some. I just think, gosh, there are there better places for me today where if you believe in the rate increase, I think, I know how, you know, I think there are ways to get at that. If you believe in the cyclical dynamic, which I believe in, there's some stocks that have come off quite a bit that I'd rather play in a more sincere way through, uh, through that. So, I don't know, your points are well taken. I just think... I just think some of them have run up quite a bit, and we're pairing some of them back. Black Rocks, Rick Reader. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Scott. Thanks right. for having me. Yep, thanks for being here. All right, so I mentioned the, the buys in retail among specialty, big box, and discount, which started about three weeks ago for Rick Reader and his team over at Black Rock. Uh, the street is out today with some very positive notes. Uh, Stephanie Link, uh, Walmart, reiterated overweight at Morgan Stanley, 164 is the price target. Reiterated buy at Bank of America, 185 is the price target. Target price uh, at Cowan, target price uh, to 300 from 255, and that re- uh, represents a 14% upside. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like these stories. I just don't like the valuations. I owned Target for years and made a lot of good money, and I like what Brian Cornell is doing in terms of revamping the stores, private label, and all of that. No question. Um, but the stock is trading at 21 times earnings, and it's up 50% on the year. So it's not exactly undiscovered. Walmart, on the other hand, is more interesting because it's only up 2% on the year. Um, and, but it does trade at 25 times. So it trades at a premium to target, right? So if I had my druthers, and, and I do, um, I own TJX. It's actually almost flat on the year. Its off price is totally reopened. People want the treasure hunt in Marmax. I like the housing component. Margins are still very depressed because they've been hit from covid costs so that so that should help going forward mm-hmm. as that eases and they're gaining and they're gaining market share so that's the name i'm playing i understand why you would want to get more overweight discretionary because the consumer is in very good shape Man, we've walmart, talked about that all year doc walmart hasn't done anything year to date uh i mean target is at a new high today 265 and 38 and that stock has just kicked its yeah. butt yeah, exactly scott and uh you know it's not just because it's based up in minnesota with pete um, Brian Cornell, to Steph's point, has just been doing a fabulous job. Um, they really focused also on uh, not so much the grocery aspect, which is a big part of Walmart, quite frankly. You've been in a Walmart ever. You've seen a massive grocery store. Target, not so much. Why? Because the margins are like that, Judge. So they use that big box to sell things with higher margin, and they've done it exceedingly well. Um, how many all-time highs has Target hit this year? I think we stopped counting. So it's why I still own that one, and occasionally I own calls in Walmart, but don't own Walmart outright. Steph, before we, uh, before we go to uh, a break, you trimmed your holding of Fortinet. Can you tell our viewers why? Yeah. Yeah, it's really easy. I mean, the stock's up 102% year-to-date, so I just took some gains. They are gaining market share like a weed because they have price performance advantage, but I just think... 
a lot of the good news is priced in into cybersecurity in general. So I'm still overweight, but just not nearly as big. Put it into a couple of other names we're going to talk about soon. Okay, look forward to that. All right, up next, the breaking news this hour. New York Governor Cuomo resigning. More details on that are straight ahead. Plus, the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill passing the Senate just in the last hour. Stephanie Link making some new moves in that space we need to tell you about. We'll tell you about the rest of the investment committee moves there as well. We'll do that next. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're back. The trillion-dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill getting enough votes to pass the Senate within the last hour still needs to go to the House. And the infrastructure ETF is pushing higher today, having its best day since late July one of our investment committee members making some moves in that space. Let's talk about that right now. Stephanie Link, you bought more GE and Emerson Electric. <laughs> Tell us about both. I did. I did. They are beneficiaries of infrastructure, but they're also restructuring stories. So for GE, we, we've talked about Culp, the CEO, for a couple of years now, doing asset sales, doing M&A. But most impressive to me in the second quarter was free cash flow. They beat by $500 million, and they're guiding uh, to $5 billion for the year. I think they actually might even beat that number. So aviation is a recovery story. Power, they're doing a great job executing. Healthcare is their gem. Emerson's also an interesting story, too. Again, infrastructure beneficiary, automated solutions is about 66% of total revenue. But this is a hidden energy play. Chevron, Exxon, Valero, some of the biggest clients uh, are, are those companies. Um, and also you have a new CEO who's trying to change the culture, cutting costs, focusing on organic growth of 4 to 6%. So I think margins also can go higher as they cut costs, and you're going to see that operating leverage. Both the stocks are up about 20% or so, but I think there's a lot more that, that, uh, that they can do. Going forward. Yeah, Emerson is a new high today as well. Josh Brown, you're looking at MLM, Martin Marietta. Yeah, I, I would just say most of most of these stocks look pretty good to me. I, I'm not I'm not like uh, an expert in materials or construction companies, uh, but Vulcan looks good too. This one just technically looks a little bit better, and Vulcan is in the midst of this big acquisition they're making. So I think it's obvious MLM is is. Looking for 400, I really don't see what would stop it. I would caution people, though, against quote unquote infrastructure like bets because Pelosi's going to tie this thing up in the House till the fall. They're going to try to turn this into a much bigger bill and they're going to make a very big show about how high they want tax rates on quote the wealthy or corporations. Like that, that's going to drag out. So you should not be buying these stocks. Because it's a, quote, infrastructure trade. You should buy them because technically they look outstanding 
and the fundamentals are pretty good too, both of those things lining up. Um, so out of all of them, I mentioned AA before, and I'd say MLM is probably the second best chart. In the I, just world. Want, I just want to be clear because I don't understand myself or I don't, I don't know the, the answer myself, uh, better said. Uh, do you own it? No. Okay. Are you thinking it's about? My, it's not my area of the market. I'm giving. I'm giving you the stocks that look the best on technicals. Okay. No, that's what, uh, I, I, I just would, want to make sure. I, I would not buy it. I just want to make sure we were giving full disclosure to our viewers because I just didn't know the answer to, to the question myself. Uh, no right. position, Judge. Got you. Got you. Uh, Farmer Jim, Cleveland Cliffs Marathon. Two stocks you already own. Uh, I do own them. I've talked about them a lot, but Cleveland Cliffs, new 52-week high, new multi-year high today. I mean, the stock is just an animal, and to Josh's point, it's both technicals and the fundamentals. The free cash flow story here is fantastic with or without infrastructure. If you get infrastructure, this stock's going to be over $30. That's what today's price movement is showing you. Uh, Marathon Petroleum has languished the Maybe past few weeks, phone. but if you're going to be building... Maybe you should get the... Is that your phone? phone? Is that your phone? It's not my phone. <laughs> Whose phone? It's not my phone. I mean, it may be somebody. It's somebody calling in to buy Cleveland Cliffs and Marathon Petroleum. Hold your horses till after the show. Uh, Marathon Petroleum. If you're going to be building windmills, if you're going to be building solar panels, you're going to have to transport things by rail, by ship, by airplane. You're going to need fuels. And by the way, with or without infrastructure, jet fuel demand is picking up. Gasoline demand is picking up. This stock has a buyback in place over the next year that's going to buy back 20% of its shares. So Marathon Petroleum is obvious with or without infrastructure. Right. We got the new core CEO on with Jim tonight, too, on Mad Money. So you want to pay attention to that interview. And coming up next, there he is. All right. Up next, John Najarian has unusual activity. We're back right after this. So far this year, 30% of money going into funds has been earmarked for ESG. That's $166 billion. Stocks in the top ESG group, by the way, have outperformed the bottom group by 25%. Among the most widely held stocks in ESG funds in the first half, Microsoft, Adobe, and Home Depot. That's your ESG fast fact of the day. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Your governor, Andrew Cuomo, is resigning over allegations of sexual harassment. Cuomo says that he'll step down in two weeks. He apologized for his actions and said he would be able to explain himself if he had the time, but doesn't want to subject New York to months of turmoil because he loves the state so much. And everything I have ever done has been motivated by that love. And I would never want to be unhelpful in any way. 
And I think that given the circumstances, the best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. And on the news, Cuomo's blockbuster decision and also what happens next. Wisconsin's Democratic governor has vetoed a series of voting bills passed by the state's Republican-controlled legislature. The bills would have imposed new restrictions on absentee ballots. Republicans do not have enough votes to override the veto. And conservative House Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene has had her Twitter accounts temporarily suspended. She'll be unable to tweet for a week after sharing misleading information about COVID vaccines. You're now up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, appreciate it. Time for unusual activity. Dr. J, that means we're coming to you. What do you see today? All right, Scott, uh, this is a stock that's about 60% under the highs of the year, down today, and then somebody steps in and buys a big chunk of Cano Health. C-A-N-O is the symbol. September 10 calls with the stock basically right at that strike, at $10, Scott. So they stepped in, bought those calls. Love the upside from here. Um, healthcare in both the United States and Puerto Rico. Um, I think this one's a no-brainer, as they say. So I'm in this one, probably be in it about three to four weeks. Second one, much shorter trade, August expiration next week, and that is Lithium America. Love lithium. We know there's huge demand for it. I've mentioned ABML and Lithium America several times. This one, Scott, they bought 14,000. That's 1.4 million share equivalent of the 1750 calls. That's with the stock at about 1670. So they're looking for a pop between now and next week. Obviously, the infrastructure discussion is part of that. All right, Doc, thank you. Up next, AMC giving up a lot of its gains from today. However, it's still in positive territory. We're going to trade it. We'll get in on the action of the other meme names as well when we come back. Plus, CNBC's Small Business Playbook is tomorrow, featuring a star-studded lineup designed to give you the tools and knowledge to make the most of the economic recovery. And you can still register to attend at cnbcevents.com slash smallbusiness. We're back on the half just after this break. I think all of us have been watching the financial markets for a very long time. Uh, and we can't always explain uh, how the financial markets act. Uh, a market is a market. There are willing buyers. There are willing sellers. We've made a very clear disclosure uh, a few months ago that our stock was trading away from historic fundamentals. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and we, we, we made no bones about that. All right. That's AMC CEO Adam Aaron. He was on Squawk on the Street earlier today with Jim Cramer and the gang justifying the valuations of AMC stock. The shares have been volatile today on the back of better than expected quarterly results. The stock is down more than 20 percent over the past month and 50 percent from its 52 week high. However, it is still up more than 1500 percent this year. All right, Dr. J, uh, I'll paraphrase that. Mm-hmm. I can't explain where the stock is, but we'll take it. We'll take it. He said they crushed it. All right. Oh, yeah. They burned through $576 million in cash over the, uh, the six-month period. That's a lot. Reiterated a lot. sell with a $1 target at Loop Capital. Reiterated underperform with a $1.55 target at Credit Suisse. 
neutral with 750 target, $7.50 to be clear. You never know these days at Wedbush and reiterated mm-hmm. neutral with a $16 yeah. target at B. Riley. You still in these calls, Doc? I am, Scott. Um, and, you know, knock on wood, this is a great trading vehicle, this particular stock. You know, when those meme guys and gals get all excited and bulled up or bared up, um, it creates great opportunities. So uh, the stock uh, in the pre-market today was $4 higher than where it is now. Um, if you slept, you missed it. Or if you got greedy, you missed it. But I got to dump out some shares up there. Um, it came back down here. I've written a ton of calls against calls that I own. And generally speaking, Scott, these meme stocks carry a very high volatility. Just to give you an idea, last week when you and I spoke about Robinhood, you know, that was a 400 volatility on August 4th when they listed those options. Well, came down to 190, which is, you know, half. uh, And now it's back down to 130. Um, So the uh, straddles, for instance, that I talked about selling last week at the 57 strike, it was $18.00. Took off half of that at 15 the same day. Now I took off the rest today at 11 bucks. So that shows you that volatility compression coming in. Um, and in some cases, Scott, the buyers uh, can overwhelm uh, even Citadel and so forth. Now, obviously, Citadel's got enough money. So does Wolverine and the rest of the group that basically provides liquidity for these uh, stocks. But uh, they're not dumb. If they have nothing but buyers, they just keep lifting the prices. And uh, that volatility can explode very quickly and contract just as quickly as soon as those buyers disappear. Because nobody really thinks they justify a 400 vol. Yeah. What's the latest on Robinhood and your participation there? Still in the 55 calls versus the 75 calls in September. I've taken everything else off, Scott. I've got a position in Clove, CLOV, at the August 9s that expire this Friday, Scott. Clover, yep, C-L-O-V, and um, Palantir um, put a trade on just yesterday in Palantir. That also expires this Friday, and that's a big meme-driven stock. It's just all over the place. Yes, sir. uh, On Robinhood, do you think it's a negative for the stock of Robinhood when you see as lackluster a reaction in the meme stocks like AMC? after uh, clearly a better-than-expected earnings report. Does that tell you that retail trading interest is weakening right now um, or just is not what it once was? Or should Robinhood shareholders not pay attention to those types of stocks uh, because they're really not the whole story? What do you think? Well, again, that's a good question, Josh. And uh, I think they're lucky that they've had such a huge surge in the uh, uh, derivatives of and the actual trading of Bitcoin and so forth, uh, because Bitcoin's up 50% in basically 10 days, from 30,000 to 45, yeah. 46,000, now hovering right there. So they're making it on both sides of that, Josh. And uh, I got to think that tomorrow, I, I believe it's tomorrow or the next day, they actually have their first earnings report as a public company. It won't include this recent activity, but hopefully they can address it then. Um, I'm thinking the meme traders are still extremely active, but they're moving over towards Bed Bath and Beyond and some of these other names, not so much GameStop. Yeah, well, maybe some of the money was coming out for a while of the GameStops and the AMCs, for example, to fund the Robin Hood activity and, and things like that. 
you know, maybe we have to consider that, too. All right, we'll take a quick break. Ask Halftime's coming up next. You can send your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. All right, let's answer some of your questions now. First up, a video question for Josh Brown. Let's watch. Hi, Bruce from Florida. Wondering what you think of the future of Wheels Up stock and why it's underperforming now. Thank you. All right, newly public, uh, recently anyway. Josh Brown, what do you think? Yeah, I was going to say underperforming what? It's been public for a month. I don't know that we really could uh, draw any... I don't know that we could draw any conclusions to the price action. Sometimes stocks come public. People that were holding them as private companies for a long time use that as an opportunity to liquidate positions. They've been waiting. So I don't think that's at all uh, that surprising. I like the category. I, I don't know enough about this company. They haven't even reported yet. So I can't give you a, a strong opinion. But not great I, under I, 10 I bucks, though. Right. A, a, a SPAC deal, not great. Not great under 10 bucks. I mean, uh, I, I think that's what he's referring no, to. No, but that's what a, but that's what a lot. Yeah, but that's what a lot of these look like. So now it's now it's not a pile of cash about to do a deal anymore. Now it's an actual operating company. So I do think that there are natural sellers that come out uh, after a transaction like this. And you have to let the stock find a level where the buyers will take those people out. Yeah. And eventually it'll happen. Yeah. So but more scrutiny on SPACs. I mean, as, as we've noted, as Leslie Picker has noted over the last couple of days and Keith Meister himself, who just did a SPAC deal and announced it on this program last week, said himself, too. All right, Stephanie Link, David in California. He likes the show. He says, Stephanie, thank you for alerting me to Zoetis. I've enjoyed a nice run up since my initial purchase. Time to sell or hold on. Thanks for the question. Sure. Um, it's up 20% year to date, so you've made good money. But I like this, this category. Companion Animal is a $20 billion total addressable market this year alone. It's going to go to $34 billion by 2028. That's a 9% CAGR. I like that. So I like the big picture. This company, all they do is beat and raise, and they just did it again. And they have a great pipeline. 25 new products are coming down the pike. So I think you want to hold on to it. All right. Thank you. We will take a quick break. And when we come back, we will do final trades. All right, let's do final trades now. Mr. All in. You're up first. <laughs> <laughs> well, it should be no, no surprise. I come back to Citigroup. Um, I heard what Rick said, but this is trading below book value and buying back those shares. Three percent dividend yield loans picking up. This seems a no brainer to me. OK. Oh, boy. We're going to play this back someday. Who knows? Maybe we won't. <laughs> Ste- it's a no- Stephanie Link. <laughs> Best Buy. I like the management team. Demand remains strong. Gross margins have upside. Okay. You got any no-brainers, Doc? Uh, Sonos, Scott. They just cut a deal with your favorite football club, the Liverpool Football Club. And I think that's a great company to own long term. <laughs> S-O-N-O. Okay. Josh Brown. What about you? <laughs> uh, just congratulations to uh, Shake Shack on an excellent mm-hmm. comeback quarter. Same store sales of 52%, right. obviously, versus Gotta the go. pandemic. But digital sales doing great, too. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. 
From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.